You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thursday edition, Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, along with Washington Post national columnist of the NBA, Ben Golliver. We're here for you every Thursday, and Locked On NBA is your daily podcast, giving a rundown on last night's action and all the big stories of the NBA in 30 minutes or less. Make sure you follow it on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and be a part of it each and every day. Ben Golliver, how are you? I'm doing very well, Locke. It's uh, more than a week into this uh, new season already. It feels like we've seen some crazy scorelines, some awesome individual performances, unexpected breakthroughs. And we got some history tonight, I think, right? We do have some history tonight, and I must tell you, I don't know what I know a week into this season. That would be the way, like, that's what I would sum up. I'm not sure what I think and what I know about things. And uh, anything I've thought I know has been rocked and then often reestablished all within the same week. So it's a little wacky right now, but you're right. The history tonight is that Greg Popovich got ejected in tonight's Spurs-Lakers game. A Laker 121-107 win. That's not too surprising. But he turns to Becky Hammond and says, you got this. And Becky Hammond becomes the first woman to ever coach as the head coach in an NBA game. It's amazing. Just to echo what you're saying about not knowing what you're thinking about real quick, I'm not sure there's anything to know, Locke. I mean, these teams are so inconsistent from a night-to-night basis. I don't think that... The official season, quote-unquote, has started. A lot of teams are in preseason mode. Uh, But in terms of Becky, it's been building to this, right? I mean, there was a a game a year or two ago where it was a similar deal. Popovich got ejected. There was some question, is Becky stepping up as the coach? Is it Tim Duncan? At that point, they said it was Tim Duncan. Um, Of course, now it's it's her role. And I think when you're looking at the Spurs kind of big picture – uh, you know, this is obviously a one-night deal, but Popovich, there was a lot of rumors about what was he going to do um, for this season if the Olympics had taken place. Was that going to be his son, uh, son, uh, swan song last summer? Now you look at uh, how things are lining up this year. San Antonio, they actually looked pretty interesting in the first week of the season, but I think most people would say that they're a fringe playoff team at best. Um, is this going to be a situation where Popovich is handing it off to Hammond for the long term, you know, like say uh, after this season or heading into next season, or is this just a, a one-night blip? I don't know. Maybe it's uh, it's not too early to start thinking like that. It's hard to know when history happens, right? But DeMar DeRozan's quote after the game, she's one of us. When she speaks, we are all ears. It's great having her here. And maybe it's taken a long time to get to that point. And frankly, I worked in the WNBA for a long time, and the late Ann Donovan, as good as any coach I've ever seen, she could have been an NBA coach. There's nothing that's preventing women from being an NBA coach other than the fact that they haven't been one before and no one's broken the barrier and no one's had enough guts to do it, right? Like, none of no good reason. But it still seems meaningful. I'm with you, though. Ben, I've always had this theory. I've always thought Pop's last act was going to be retire in the middle of the season and turn it over to Becky so that no one had a choice. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, I'll say this. We know it's a matter of time for sure, especially within the NBA. I think that they've been kind of heading that direction for a while. And with Becky, I mean, I understand it's like official history tonight, but I watched her win the Las Vegas Summer League as the head coach of their Summer League team. And there was nobody looking twice at her or or confused or, oh, why do I have to listen to a woman? There was absolutely none of that. I mean, she had that team's attention wrapped night after night. They played so hard. They played Spurs basketball. 
and this was in summer league a couple of years ago. So once I saw that up close and personal, I just came away from that saying, Hey, look, it's a matter of time. Uh, she has an, a great basketball mind. She's been surrounded by amazing basketball minds really for like five years now, or however long it's been in San Antonio, whether it happens there or somewhere else. I think, uh, you know, we'd probably say that she's got the best shot of, uh, of any female candidate. We're seeing Teresa Weatherspoon. We're seeing the L. Ivy. We're seeing these coaches in the league. I know a lot of them because I was in the W for a long time. I got to say this. The one thing that to me is, 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 is actually like outrageous is the lack of women in front offices. There's absolutely nothing in the world of reason why a man can sit and watch a game and know it better than a woman in the crowd evaluating talent. I mean, there's just not a, like, there's no reason a man can coach better either. But for a long time, well, they might not listen and this and that. Like, you can kind of, like, play that game for a while. But, like, there's nothing that explains why you can't have a woman scouting games other than the fact that just no one's been willing to raise the ceiling on that one. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you have ingrained uh, biases that go back generations too, right? It's like there's better opportunities now to rise through the executive ranks than there were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And, and the same thing is true in media and, and the same thing is true in coaching, but it's still not perfect. And I, I do think that we've seen some gradual progress, but you go back to the bubble and the conversations between the, you know, the players union and, and the league, it was all about, we need to have better representation, um, you know, in the executive ranks and, uh, you know, in the coaching ranks and in the league office itself um, for, you know, black people, former black players, uh, and the same is true, uh, you know, uh, from a gender diversity standpoint as well. I mean, I think it, baseball uh, just had its first, uh, you know, woman general manager, I believe, uh, you know, the Miami Marlins. Uh, that, that happened recently. And it's kind of amazing that basketball got beat to the punch on that one. It is. Well, and hey, there's been, been progress has been made. I, I hate that because it's not, you know. But, but the, what I always noticed was it was only a year or two ago they suddenly had the co- female coaches locker room. Right. Every team suddenly had to have a female coaches locker room available. And, the you know, the NBA's done a heck of a good job with officiating recently in diversifying that crew. Again, really no explanation in the world other than sexism of why a woman cannot officiate a game than a men's. At least some of these things are at least being confronted where they are onto that game quickly. Um, that game might be the one thing that made sense tonight. Well, there are a few other things that made sense, but really, that's an impressive world championship win. I know road games are weird right now, but the Lakers were really the obvious dominant team in that game tonight. Yeah, and you know they're still not running up their guys' minutes that high, so it's really hard for me to accurately judge um, the Lakers, like their progress report, where do they stand exactly, because LeBron sat down the stretch of some fourth quarters. Anthony Davis has had his minutes limited um, in various ways. It really seems like they are trying to lean heavily on guys like Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder just to see what those guys can do and to let them carry uh, the weight a little bit. I think Marcus Gasol, it's been kind of a slow uh, launch for him with the Lakers. And you look at what's happening in Toronto, I think that they're really feeling the effect of losing both Gasol and, and Serge Ibaka. But from the Lakers' standpoint, it's just sort of like, all right, let's ease our way into this. Let's see what they're capable of doing. Keep your head above 500, if at all possible. And then, you know, turn on the Jets here once you get a little bit deeper into the uh, to the schedule. I think the biggest takeaway for me from the Lakers, if there is one, has just been Schroeder. You know, you look at their backcourt pieces, just not very dynamic last year, right? You had some nice defensive pieces like, a, you know, an Avery Bradley uh, or a Rajon Rondo. But he's not a dynamic scorer, Rondo. He's a, he's a nice playmaker for his teammates, but... A shooter just gives them an element that they did not have last season. And, uh, you know, to me, it's kind of interesting that they're continuing to start him 
I actually think it would be better if they didn't. I feel like they should move him to the bench and kind of spread out um, their rotation a little bit. But I think that that just goes to show uh, who they feel their best players are, number one. Uh, but also the idea that they want to keep the minutes that LeBron you know, has on the court as easy on him as possible. You mentioned uh, Marcus Gasol slow start. I, I always say I never believe in individual plus minus on a given game. I always think it's a little faulty unless it's Marcus Gasol, and, and then I believe in it every <laughs> night, right? Like for like the last four games, plus eight, plus twenty four, plus fourteen, plus eight. Like yeah, I believe it. Like I don't care what else he does because that's what Marcus Gasol does. He just impacts the game in every subtle way possible, cutting off angles defensively, making the pass that leads to the pass. He just does all those things. So. You know, I don't believe in individual plus minus unless it's Marcus Uh I agree with you on Schroeder, by the way, uh, except for the fact that he announced he was starting, right? Like, so they, they can't do it until he decides he's not starting anymore. No, I know. I, I would have tried to cut that one off if I was them. <laughs> but uh, personally, I would have tried to have that meeting before he made that comment. You know, it's a very savvy media play by him. He's, he's fitting right in in Los Angeles, you know, media capital of the NBA. But uh, you know, we'll see where they get uh, in terms of their best lineups by the time they get to the playoffs because – I'm with you on Gasol. Like his impact exceeds his box score numbers, but when you look back at last year's playoffs, like they by far look their best when Davis started at the five and they were just going small and they were blitzing teams and they were forcing matchup issues and they were, you know, having basically Davis at the five, LeBron at the point four, and just, you know, surrounding those guys with shooters and activity and seeing what they could come up with. I kind of wonder looking at their center rotation this year, if you're looking at Gasol. Uh, you're looking at uh, Montrez Harrell. I kind of wonder whether they might be in a similar spot this year in the playoffs where, you know, they, they maybe go to that Davis at the five look more often, more regularly, and maybe a little bit earlier too. He's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. This is Locked on NBA, your daily podcast on the NBA, recapping all the last night's actions and giving you an update on the biggest stories of the league. How good is Jalen Brown? We'll discuss that plus the Biggest upsets, excuse me, biggest blowouts. Again, more blowouts, more and more blowouts every night in the NBA. And then fun games started the night. We'll wrap up with that. We had the point guard matchup and the centers playing point guard matchups. We'll touch on all those ball games uh, before we're done today as we recap last night. Have you grabbed the new show Locked on Bets? Locked on Bets is Locked On's brand new daily gambling show with hosted by your boy Q and Lee Sterling, and they are on fire. They've won in, I think, nine of the last 10 days. They've smoked the Oklahoma-Florida game yesterday. They got Portland's win over L.A. They're just on fire. It's a 10 to 15-minute daily show, and it's brought to you by BetOnline.ag. There's one place that has you covered, one place we trust. It's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON. You get 50% off on your welcome bonus. So whether it's the football, the college football bowl games, or you know you're going to own the NBA, or as Lee has owned college basketball, you can do it at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is your online sports book experts. Locked on is the promo code. You receive 50% off on your welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's locked on at 50% off on your welcome bonus. Three major blowouts tonight. Before we get into all the blowouts and why the blowouts, Ben, I kind of love watching Boston right now. With Kemba out and Gordon gone, 
We're fine. They, they don't have this game where everyone's fighting for possessions anymore. And tonight, Jalen Brown dropped 42 points in 29 minutes on 15 to 21. Now, it was awfully close to doing it against the Memphis Hustle. No, that's not fair to Grayson Allen, Dylan Brooks, and Tyus Jones, but they are definitely injury riddled. But how good is Jalen Brown? He's really good, but I think your point does stand. I mean, look, maybe it's a slight low blow, but Memphis is hurting in a big-time way right now. I think that uh, when I was looking at the impact of, like, John Morant missing all that time, it almost reminds me of Steph Curry last year when he got injured really early and you just feel like it sinks the whole season. I hate writing a team off, you know, in before even the new year, but I feel like they're going to be waiting a long time to get him back. Aaron Jackson Jr. has still been out. And the rest of that roster is just really, uh, it's more role players or, or guys who can fit in and, and support a lead ball handler rather than stepping into that role. And they're going to have a hard time kind of keeping up uh, during those injury absences, which is a real shame because Jaw's so much fun to watch. In terms of Jalen Brown, I, it was perfect timing for me, Locke. I wrote a column this week on five guys who could potentially make their first all-star uh, selection this year. There probably won't be an all-star game. We're still kind of waiting on that. But guys who could get that all-star recognition – I think Jalen Brown's the number one guy in the entire league right now, even over a player like a Jamal Murray. I mean, even over a guy like Job before the injury or De'Aaron Fox or whoever else you want to put into that category. Um, he's an incredible two-way player. He plays really hard, really smart. He usually you know, doesn't go out of his way to hijack the offense. I'm actually amazed he could score 42 points in a game. I, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he could play 10 years and never score that many. Uh, but he, he plays with great activity and intelligence and he's getting all sorts of opportunities right now with no Hayward there after the free agency decision and no Kemba Walker. It's just, you know, have as many shots as you want for both him and Tatum and, and they're both really taking advantage of that chances. You know, it was interesting watching them in the bubble last year. I kept saying to people, Jalen Brown's going to ask out. And my thought was oh. watching him and Hayward and Tatum and Walker, all he was doing was running down the floor and stepping up in the corner. And I'm like, he's too good a player for that. Like, it's going to stop. What I didn't realize was Hayward who's going to ask out, right? Like, so I got the fact that they had too many players <laughs> and not enough shots. I just didn't think it was Hayward that was going to do it. And so I actually think I kind of like Boston more now than I did at this time a year ago because I, I really am bothered by teams that don't have enough possessions to go around. No, I'm with you. I mean, this worked out better for them. I mean, you'd way rather have Tatum and, and Brown both happy than try to make it work with Hayward. So that, that part of it doesn't hurt them too badly. I do think that they're missing Kemba, though. You know, I like this group a lot more when they do have Kemba. Like, during the bubble playoffs, when Hayward was out injured, but they still had Kemba, I actually thought they had great role definition. There was, a, you know, a real clear, each guy had a job. Marcus Smart knew his job. He got to play late in games. Tice knew his job. He got to play late in games. Tatum and, and Brown had more room to operate, and Kemba could kind of run the show. That group just played really well together. It was a really, really nice five-man lineup. And so I do think, um, you know, if we're comparing this year to last year, once they get Kemba back, that's when I would agree with you. Uh, but I think ultimately, like, they're going to get enough internal growth from both Brown and Tatum that they're not going to sweat the Hayward thing too much in, in the big picture. I think they're going to be all right there. Uh, but, I mean, the other thing about Brown, he's turned into a better shooter than I thought. You know, when he was coming in, and I remember him in college and even high school too, it was more about being a physical guy, attacking the basket, getting layups, getting dunks, and, and being a little bit of a high flyer, I mean, he's turned into a you know a pretty solid you know three point shooter. You'd still say Tatum's a, be a better outside shooter, but Brown having seven threes tonight. I mean, that's no joke. So we had the Christmas Day massacre, all five of them, just across the board. Christmas Day massacre. Clippers losing by fifty. 
We had Miami losing by like 40. And now tonight, we got a 19-point Boston win. We have a 21-point Dallas win, which is misleading because Charlotte was up, I think, 40 at one point. They won an 18-0 run to start the third quarter. And we have the Clippers were up 30 in the third on Portland and well on their way. Why are we having all these blowouts? Well, I would start with number one, we didn't get the full training camp preseason. So I think teams are in, in varied amounts of shape. You know, I see some guys out there who are 15 pounds too heavy, like Luka Doncic. I see some guys out there who have clearly lost 15 pounds, like Julius Randle. Like we're seeing a lot of fluctuations there just in terms of how ready individual players and their teams were to start this season. We also have different motivations in terms of who's playing hard. At a lot of the games that I've been to in attendance, you know, just firsthand so far this year, I've been disappointed in the effort, you know, in some of these uh, key moments or just, you know, guys not pushing themselves. And I think that that's how some of these games get away. If, if you're in an empty gym and you come out and get blitz in that first quarter, first quarter and you don't make a push in the second quarter, it can get out of hand real quick. And then I think you throw on top of that, um, you know, the, the prevalence of the three-pointer. I mean, look no further than Miami-Milwaukee earlier this week. I mean, they hit 29 three-pointers. I was watching the clips of all the threes, and some of them seemed almost like mirror images or just like, you know, uh, repeated images uh, of the same shot over and over again because they were just getting wide-open looks and just hitting them. And so I think that the games can spiral more quickly than ever because of the pace of play. Um, and, and because of the prevalence of the three-point shot and, and just a lot of great offensive talent. But you know, if I look back at like the playoffs, for example, we had a lot of really intense games, but we also had some moments that were really defined by the defense. I mean, remember LeBron James and Jimmy Butler going back and forth, exhausting each other you know, during the finals. I mean, there, there were some other series where defense really carried the day. And, um, you know, I, I'm just not seeing that type of effort level right now. And, I, and we're also seeing, frankly, stars, either resting in games, you know, having their, their loads managed by just not playing normal, normal starter minutes. And we're also seeing starters sit out games. I mean, Embiid missed a game. Uh, Kevin Durant missed a game. Kyrie Irving missed a game this week. And, and that's been a little bit of a trend around the league, too. Jimmy Butler missed some time. And so I think you add all those things up and, and you kind of get to a place where, you know, a lot of these games, frankly, are over by halftime. So I got an interesting few notes on Luke out of Dallas tonight. We'll get to in a second. I actually think, and, and I, I don't know if I heard you mention it, I think no fans is the issue. I really I think it's an issue too, for sure. I mean, I, I motivation, really, like within a game, you right. just let go of the rope, right? Well, like Dallas got blown out at home. The Clippers got blown out at home. Like you're not getting blown out at home. You're not going to, you do not want to get booed by the home folks. You got to go have go buy groceries in that town. Like there is just <laughs> like, you're not, I, I just been around these guys long enough. They're so prideful, but the, the pride is now, if three guys around you drop the rope, then everyone drops the rope and you let it go. I, I really think that the lack of fans, whether it's egging the like, first of all, if you drop down 12 at home, your crowd's going to get into it and try to egg you on. And then if you're down 15, they're going to kind of hiss at you to get you going, right? Like, so that's a the home team. But even the road team, I think that's a part of it. So I really think the lack of crowd and atmosphere is a huge part in these blowouts. I think all the other things is part of it too. You're a little out of shape. You're a little off. You're not quite as sharp. And so, yeah, you let go of the rope. But I think that's that that last piece of the puzzle is, oh, I don't want to get humiliated in front of the home crowd. And we've got home teams getting blown out. I'm with you on that for sure, especially right now because the games don't matter as much. Look, I think if we're still in the same situation with no crowds come March and April and some of these teams are in playoff races, they've got to tighten up and, and get down to the stretch, I don't think you're going to see as many blowouts. I think you're going to see more – 
you know, team teammate on teammate accountability and just like, you know, less people saying, eh, punt it, we'll worry about the next game tomorrow. Uh, I think that we're going to see uh, the effort level ratchet up as we get further into the season. And some of that could just be teams adjusting to not, you know, playing in, uh, in empty arenas. I mean, even in the bubble, it was a different feel in these gigantic empty arenas around the league. And, and there's a number of teams, eight of them to be precise, who didn't even go to the bubble. So this is their first time adjusting to not having fans too. So I do think it's a, a widespread adjustment for everyone. And I think they'll get used to it. And I think we're going to see better, more competitive games if you fast forward six to eight weeks. I just don't see this kind of crazy one-sided games where everybody's you know, given up halfway through the second quarter. I just don't think that's going to be a season-long trend. After the night, uh, Luca, by the way, went out and shot for about 40 minutes on the empty floor at America Airlines Arena. Good. Uh, Rick Carlisle, after the game, when asked about his conditioning, said, I'm not going to get into a thing about conditioning and whatever. This is a team <laughs> game. We got our asses kicked by a team that played hard tonight. It wasn't fun. Let's keep our eye on the ball. So he didn't bite on that one. Uh, Dallas is one and three. Any concerns? Not concerns. Uh, look, I mean, they definitely miss Porzingis. They're a, a much different team without him. I mean, his gravity is a real deal. And I think that Luke looks more comfortable, at least he did during the playoffs when those two guys got to attack uh, defenses together. And I, I think also on the defensive end, they just miss his presence as well. Um, I would like to see Luca in shape, though. I'll say that. I don't know if that's a concern or not. I understand why Carlisle wouldn't want to call him out and, and turn that into a, a month-long story. But he's heavy. I mean, he just needs to lose weight. Uh, he put it back on quickly. He looked in much better physical condition during the playoffs than he does right now. And he just wasn't moving nearly as well uh, when I saw him on Christmas as he was back in uh, in July and August. And this was a concern. This is like everyone's like, oh, how could he possibly go like three in the draft? Like, well, there were these were some of the concerns on him in the draft was these kind of issues. So I don't think they're going to last. I think he's proven those people to be wrong, but it's still worth mentioning. Uh, one other note on the blowouts, Clippers go to four and one with their blowout of the Blazers. I got to just, I love the Clippers. I just love that roster. I love what they've done to it. I love watching them play. I hated watching them play last year. They just stood still and dribbled. Now Kennard makes the extra pass, but Toom's a beautiful point guard for them. I think they're fabulous. I know they lost by 50 the other night. I still think they're fabulous. <laughs> No, they're really good. I think they're the biggest threat to the Lakers, again, for sure. Um, and I also think, uh, at least in the West, I mean, you could argue Brooklyn. I, I would still probably put the Clippers there. And uh, they still have, don't have Morris back. So I think they can get even better. I mean, he gave them some really good minutes. They spent an awful lot of money on him. And he's better than whoever they're trying to use in that rotation spot, uh, you know, as a stopgap. So, you know, if, if you're excited about them now, I think you'll be even more excited uh, once he's back in the lineup. It's interesting. I'm not – I don't – I don't know where I don't. They only played Patrick Patterson like three minutes the other night. I don't know where he's going into that rotation, and I, I think, you know, I do think he's really, really good. But that's maybe my point on them, like because I love Luke Kennard. I think he's a beautiful addition for them. Nicholas Batum is playing inspired. They're, you know, they're good. They're really, but, re they're yeah, really, but, really good. Batum has been one of the biggest surprises to me. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. I, I think that you, you probably cut Batum's minutes a little bit, or maybe you shift him more to like a point guard role and cut Beverly's minutes a little bit. Oh my gosh. Um, Could you, so so, you all right, I'll interrupt passing. you back. Could you imagine six, eight, six, nine, six, eight, six, nine, and then either a box like they would be mammoth. That's what I'm saying. I love that idea. I love the interchangeable lineups. Anytime we could get them. I wish that they had gone to the interchangeable looks more often last year because they had the ability to kind of shift Paul George down to the two um more than they did and 
you know, I would have taken, you know, a guy like Lou Williams off the court in some situations that they didn't. And I would have tried to go with, you know, more like triple wing or, or four wings out there and just kind of see what happens. So I'm hoping we get there. I mean, a lineup of Ibaka, Batum, Leonard, George, and Morris, that's a pretty sick lineup. You know, I mean, at least show it to us. Let us, let us watch it, right? Yeah, that is wild. All right, the first games of the night were super fun. We'll talk about them when we come back. Atlanta, Brooklyn was the game of the night, the most enjoyable. But Miami and Milwaukee had some of the best interchanges of the whole night. So we'll talk about those uh, when we continue. Ben Golliver, Washington Post. I'm David Locke. Locked on Fantasy Basketball is the number one fantasy basketball program in the world. So make sure you catch Josh Lloyd and the highly rated Locked on Fantasy Basketball. We all hit that wall at some point in the day. I'm hitting it on the ski slopes pretty regularly. And so what do I have in my pocket? I've got my Built Go. We've heard of Built Bars. We even sent Built Bars to Ben Golliver in the bubble. Now there's Built Go. It's 1.5 ounce package. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, I put it in my inside pocket while skiing. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's a five-hour energy without the crash. It's drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine. Three great flavors. Chocolate coconut, chocolate mint. Somebody else left. Tell me about peanut butter, honey. The nut allergy does not do that. It has collagen protein in it. Fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast. It's easier in your stomach. Collagen promotes joint and soft tissue health as well as hair and skin health. In theory, it actually makes you look better. Some of us are past that point. Go to BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED to get 20% off your next order. And by the way, I'm just going to share this with Ben Golliver. It's not on my ad copy. It's not anything I'm actually supposed to promote at all. Do you? Are you one of these people who does like emergency every day? Do you do that? Like the, the drink? Yeah. No, I don't. Should I? Well, I do. I always have. They have a new one called Built Boost, which is kind of... That builds your immune system, and it's the same kind of concept as emergency. I used, I drink one every morning, and they have they're great. Like I, they have a lemon lime and a pomegranate green apple and an apricot pineapple. It's kind of cool. Like they're really building this. The built brand is building this cool stuff. So you can check that one out, or I can send it to you. That's usually what I do for you when I tell you about these things. So, um, but yeah, well, no, bring it on. I've been. Uh, I'm all over that. Let's do it. Yeah, no, I'm actually. I drink one of those things like once or twice a day to try to stay healthy through a season. Easier. Um, easier to stay uh healthy during a season than it used to be because i'm not traveling so um i don't have to worry about it quite as much all right but you don't want to get sick now because then you'll get scared right i mean that's the right. whole thing like whatever right. you could do to not get sick right now it's better for you in the big picture it's all good points all good points by ben Golliver. All right, the fun one was Brooklyn-Atlanta. That was the most fun game of the night. 145-141, all-star game defense. I tweeted out at one point both the offenses over a one th- or over 125. They actually both finished over 132. <laughs> this was crazy. So fun. What was most fun to you about this one, Ben? Well, you know, Atlanta had had a pretty soft schedule, I guess, heading into this game. So you wanted to see how they would respond to the test. I thought they responded to the test quite well. I mean, especially down the stretch, you just got really like assertive, forceful efforts, not only from Trey Young, but also John Collins, Cam Reddish. I mean, all those guys are contributing in various ways down the stretch of that game. It wasn't necessarily perfect execution, but it was very confident execution. They just looked like a team that felt like they deserved to be there. And if you go back the last couple of years for the Atlanta Hawks, that's just not been who they were. I mean, a lot of times they're not even in games. Uh, you know, against good teams late. So that was a, a nice positive development. I don't want to call it a moral victory, but I think if you're a Hawks fan, you're just loving the idea that Trey Young and, and Kyrie Irving are kind of going back and forth and, and keeping it competitive late. 
I thought the biggest takeaway, though, Locke, and I'm kind of curious where you come on, uh, come down on this one. So you got kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Kyrie Irving experience late in that game, right? So the ugly, he had a crazy shot that, like, missed badly. He threw a pass away into the corner. I think the bad was he was a little bit too focused on his own hero ball stuff. Like, he had a couple of shots that he, he forced a little bit, and they were going away from Kevin Durant more than I would like to see and also going away from their team offense late in that game more than I would like to see. But the good was that on enough possessions, Kyrie Irving was able to get where he wanted. He stroked a nice mid-range jumper. He had a big clutch three to kind of put the thing away, and he just wanted to have the ball the whole way, and, and he was really um, you know, just kind of in ruthless like Mamba mentality mode, for lack of a better phrase. So I think the big picture for Brooklyn is like you know you've got shot creators. You've got two of the best shot creators in the entire league. Uh, when you're getting into these kind of games, when things tighten up in the playoffs, is it going to just be one-on-one all the time, hero ball between Kyrie or, or Kevin Durant? Or are you going to get a little bit more complicated, a little bit more complex with your offense and have Steve, uh, Steve Nash step in and, and kind of uh, orchestrate a little bit from the sidelines? Because it, it seemed to me like he was just letting these guys play, do whatever the heck they wanted. It worked out this night, but I could easily have seen, you know, one more turnover here, one more missed shot there. And I think Kyrie Irving would have gotten painted maybe in a different way rather than being the hero. He might have been the GOAT. Yeah, he was great. I mean, that stretch where he hits five of six was just in the middle of the quarter was just awesome. Like, there just are not many guys that can do that. In fact, there's no one in the league who could do what he did in that stretch. At the point guard spot, yeah. I mean, he is, uh, he is creating shots effortlessly. He creates so much space. Um, and he's all, kind of on fire right now. I mean, he started slow in that game, but he absolutely took over in the fourth quarter. But do you hear what I mean about almost being, like, overly reliant upon him? Like, KD just kind of turned into a spectator at times. Like, he got one shot. It kind of came out of rhythm and off the dribble three that really wasn't set up that well. It almost felt a little bit like my turn, your turn stuff. I mean, you're never going to nitpick on a team that much when they score 145 points, right? But you could see if they're in, like, a tight Eastern Conference Finals game, and their whole plan is just like, Kyrie, you've got to create it all off the dribble. Or, Kevin, you've got to create it all off the dribble. I mean, that, that could be something that comes back to get them a little bit. I'm going to evaluate it on the night where Kyrie's not making everything, right? So tonight <laughs> when he right tonight he goes in, 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 we're talking about the middle of the quarter, he takes over the game, he hits five of six shots on, on six possessions. I mean, there was nobody else. Maybe he threw the lob to Allen in the middle there, I think. And so the question to me is, and right, then he had a bad, weird turnover where he thought one of his teammates was somewhere. It, it missed a floater, then promptly hit a three. Like, there were – but on a night where he's off, I want to see if he gives it up. Or a night where, you know, it's not as easy a matchup against a bad defensive team, do you run something? You're right. But there's no need to run anything against Atlanta. They're, they're just not good defensively. I, I, I actually left that game with the other one, and I've felt this way for a while. I know everyone's in love with Luka – and I know Trey Young is going to be cursed by the fact he's compared to Luke all the time, but I actually think we got to stop. Like, Trey Young's just awesome. What Trey Young does at his size and the windows he gets passes through and how he's created what he's created out of John Collins, he is incredible. And if you go look, there's a bunch of data points where, like, passes from the paint to three-point shooters, and the only guys that are making him are, like, LeBron 6'8", Giannis 6'11", and Trey Young 6'1". Like, what he does, and then... Rim finishing, it's like LeBron, Paul George, Giannis, Kawhi, Trey Young. Like, he's amazing for 6'1", and just amazing for a basketball player. Well, Locke, what about the fact that he's probably going to lead the league in free throw attempts this year? Right, he took 16 tonight. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's like every single night. No, I think, uh, look, he's making another leap, right? He's a guy who didn't get to play since March. And we were, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, which guys are ready to come back and who really missed playing, right? Who's ready to take that next step of their career, second or third year type players. He's absolutely on that list. He's been hitting the ground running and their team offense has been amazing. I mean, one thing for Brooklyn, I don't know if you saw this, they attempted a hundred shots in this game and they only had eight turnovers. That's pretty wild, man. Well, that is pretty, when you have Kyrie and Durant going one-on-one and not passing, you're not turning it over. That's true. And there weren't really missing shots either. I mean, look, their, their efficiency was off the charts. I think you opened with that. I mean, just absolutely nuts to have a 135 offensive rating. Um, you know, for Atlanta, I think, uh, you know, the, the question for them is they look like a playoff to me, uh, team to me already. I don't know if you're there yet, but I, I'm pretty much there. I, I came in a little bit thinking maybe they're seven or eight. I mean, they might be able to even get up a little bit higher than that. I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop teams in the playoffs, right? Um, you know, you look at their defensive pieces. Uh, I'm not sure they've got quite enough there, and maybe it won't matter. I mean, maybe they'll get a favorable playoff matchup. They can just run the, run their opponent off the court. But uh, I, I feel like their step this year is going to be you get into the playoffs, you know, check that off your list, and then it starts to become, okay, how can you tinker with this roster to get a little bit of better two-way balance? I'm the one person in the world who didn't love their offseason because I actually loved the pieces they already had, and I felt like they bailed on their – rebuild like I really like DeAndre Hunter I think he's going to be a super player and I love what he's doing so far second year players are going to have much better years than most second year players this year because they've gotten extra time um, Cam Reddish is far better so far this year than I thought I did not love Cam Reddish I'll be honest on that one um, I thought last year was a pretty bad indicator of what we were going to see out of him in his career when I think he shot 38% from the field last year and 32% from three but he's looked much better so I like Atlanta a lot and I and I'm I'm all in on Trey Young I'm just blown away by what he does I'm totally blown away what well I want to finish this one up with the uh recap of that of Milwaukee Miami it's got two things that are interesting to it it's an it's one of these league back-to-backs we saw it with Phoenix Sacramento they played back-to-back nights each team won one we see it here each team wins one but there were a bunch of possessions where like Bam out of Bayou and Giannis out of Dukumbo were playing point guard and going head-to-head against each other and both of them had 10 assists tonight like, can you imagine, like, Bill Russell, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, like, watching this game being like, that's a center? Like, you watch Kyrie Irving and Trey Young go one-on-one, you're like, okay, that's normal. We had Giannis and Bam Adebayo bringing the ball up the floor, going one-on-one and dishing out, and each had 10 dimes tonight. There's so many good passing bigs right now. I mean, Jokic, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Giannis, uh, Bam, as you're mentioning. I mean, all these guys are really creative. They draw so much attention and there's so much space on the court because they've got so many shooters around them that uh, it does make passing the basketball a little bit easier and certainly miss, you know, racking up or makes uh, racking up assists a little bit easier uh, for both those guys. I- I'm wondering on the back-to-back games log, is there a psychological component? Is it tougher to beat the same team twice in two nights or twice in three nights? Um, you know, they're doing this whole series thing this year just to condense the travel aspect to cut down on the travel where teams have to play each other multiple times kind of in a row. It feels to me like, especially if you're Milwaukee and you win big in that first one, isn't the natural human instinct to let up? And if you're Miami and you get beat that badly, aren't you coming back as hard as you possibly can in game two? I almost wonder if we're just going to see splits like almost all year long. I think we are. I think we're going to see a tremendous amount of splits. And then there's all sorts of interesting aspects of this schedule also. Like, for example, the Jazz opened the year with Portland. 
Minnesota and Oklahoma City, and they don't play any of them again until the second half of the season. Huh. So now they're all going to go play each other three times late. So um, I, I think I 100% I'm with you. I think that they're absolutely, you know, and what it is, it's a killer for the home team because the chances of beating those teams. Now, Miami's probably not beating Milwaukee twice at home anyway, so it may not matter. But Sacramento, I think, had Phoenix at home twice. Maybe they would have got them both times. They got them once. Like, you're just not, you know, someone could flip that around and say Phoenix would have gone in there and won twice too. So, um, but I agree. But that could have playoff implications is your point, right? I mean, that that could be the difference right there. A couple games like that, a couple things that aren't splits. And, you know, you wind up being the nine seed instead of the eight in the West or, or something like that. So it's something to track for sure. Ben Golliver, Washington Post. Grab him by uh, going to his Twitter account, getting his newsletter. Uh, subscribe for his newsletter at Washington Post. Follow him at Ben Golliver and read him at the Washington Post. I'm David Locke. You can listen to Lockdown Jazz and you'll hear a lot about screen assists. I promise. It is Lockdown NBA. Tomorrow everyone's <laughs> off. Monday, Josh Lloyd is back with you. Have a great one. Enjoy yourself. Have a happy new year. Be safe. Here's to 2021.